Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with our awesome sponsors, Najahi Tribe and Najahi Events. If you want to go and learn how to trade money, make more sales, use digital marketing, anything you want to do to build your business and grow, then you need to go to Najahi Tribe. Go check them out. There's lots of people there that can help you. On today's episode, which is episode 100 of the Spencer Lodge podcast, I have absolutely no idea who I'm about to interview. Raj Katecha, my good friend and my inspiration for the podcast and his business, the content creation agency, asked if they could organize the guest for the show. And you know what? Who am I to say no? So I really don't know who I'm about to interview. I'm really excited, though. So why don't we just cue the music and get on with this? Congrats on episode 100. Enjoy your special guest from your friends at the Creative Content Agency. Can I, can I take this off? Okay. Yeah? Okay. Three, two, one. Who is my guest? No way! Shit the bed, it's Neil Patel. <laughs> hey, how are you? Wow. Man, that, thank you so much. I don't know what to say. Man, I'm a big fan of your work. Wow. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Cool. Well, man, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Wow, how cool is this? How are you? I'm good. How's life in Dubai? Yeah, very well indeed. Thank you. Gosh, man, um, let's get uh, let's get into this. Your business for, for for the two percent of the population that don't know who you are. What's your elevator pitch? Sure. So I'm a marketer and entrepreneur. I blog at neilpatel.com. I have some software companies like Uber Suggest, and uh, I have an ad agency. Neil Patel Digital. Uh, currently, I think we have seven offices globally, and then we would have had more, but COVID nineteen hit and we had to slow down. And how long have you been doing this? I'm on my. 16... I, I'm getting close to year twenty. I'm on nineteen right now. It's, hold on a minute. How old are you? Because you I thought you were like thirty five, thirty six. I'm thirty five. You've been doing it since then. I've been doing it since 16, so you're 19. So tell me about what you were, you were like as a kid then. So you, you, you obviously went, I think, you, I think you went to Fullerton? Cal State Fullerton, that's right. So, I went to, so as a kid, it, it all started because I was like 15 and a half and I wanted money. So I, I grew up in the poor part of uh, Orange County, which is right next to Los Angeles. Okay, so I, I grew up in the poor area of the city. And it wasn't that bad, don't get me wrong. Uh, my parents bought their house like 30 plus years ago for $200,000, which is cheap for Orange County. Uh, and to give you an idea, we have warm weather here. Their house doesn't have air conditioning, right? So it wasn't a nice house or anything like that. And if you think about today, fast forward, their house is maybe a half a million dollars, right? So it's in the crappier part of town. It's still not bad. But I got my first job picking up trash and cleaning restrooms at a theme park. I wanted to make a ton of money. And what I ended up doing was I went online searching for jobs that paid six figures. I wasn't qualified for any of them. So I decided, you know what? I can't find a job. I'm going to go start my own job board. So I started my own job website, paid some people a few thousand bucks for the money I saved. And then took some more money that I saved a few thousand more dollars, paid some marketing firms, got no results, right? Because you got to market the site. Had to learn it my own from being broke, frustrated. And then uh, from there, I started getting a ton of traffic, but I still made no money. And, you know, the nail on the coffin on the end of that business, but the start of my journey as an entrepreneur was 
or, or what I consider the real start is I, I was pretty book smart as a kid. And I was like, you know what? I can't get a good paying job. This job board isn't working out. Let me just start college early. So when I was 16, I started college classes at nighttime. And my first one was speech 101. I gave a speech on how Google works and how to get traffic from a website. Some guy hired me for his company at $5,000 a month. And then the owner of that company said, wow, you, you made us extra 25 million a year in revenue. Let me go introduce you to my son who owns an ad agency. So I was like 16 and his son gave me a few more clients. So I was making around 20 grand a month when I was 16. And that was the start of my entrepreneurial career. Wow. So you started making money, money, money really young. But I also lost it all and I burned it all. And so it wasn't always great. But yeah, I was making decent money. What did you, okay, what did you lose it all on and burn it all on? I'm really hoping you're going to say similar things to me. So what, what kind of mistakes did you make in those days? I had ADD. I still do to some extent. I love the model of almost like private equity. You go, you buy businesses, you grow them, ones that aren't fine-tuned, and I can create quick leverage, quick growth. So I had ideas for other businesses that could be big. Back then, I didn't have as much capital, so there was no buying out. It was more so you go and you build from scratch. And I would invest in all these other random companies and start them from the ground up, and they would just lose money, had no focus, had no clue what I was doing. Some of the ideas were great, but as Richard Brands has said, business ideas are a dime a dozen. So it's like you need to focus and pick the right ones and double down. And I wasn't doing that. And what kind of, what kind of, what kind of businesses were they? What kind of industry sectors were they? Sure. So I started doing cloud computing before it was called cloud computing. If I did it right, I would have been rich as crap. <laughs> uh, but that definitely didn't happen. So that I went into the analytics space. I went into the design space, even though I have no clue about design, nor do I care about web design. So I was going into a lot of random verticals that weren't the right niche. I even got into like USB drives, you know, because back then you get a USB drive and be like, wow, I can put like 50 photos on this thing. It's like, uh, all right. But now you're like 50 photos, screw this. And they throw it away. Wow. And so, yeah, and, and, and did, it, did, did you make a lot of mistakes and then kind of one day have a moment where you went, all right, am I doing something wrong here? Or, was it, or did every time you lost, did you go, okay, this is a really valuable lesson? No, 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 no. There was no valuable lesson. It was like, I just kept making the same mistakes over and over again. <laughs> I was losing money, you know. By the time I was 21, I was making millions, but I also lost millions. So in total, I was negative because I lost more than what I made. And I was just like, whoa, 16, 21. I made a lot more money than my parents have in total, but I lost it all plus more. So I was just like, what's the point? And then it was at that point where I realized I should just focus on what I'm good at and I should learn from my mistakes and try to avoid the same ones over and over again. So how, how old were you then when, you, when you, that, that lesson came then? Mid-20s? It really started, my guess, was around 23-ish, but it didn't really kick in until I was like 28, 29. Tell me about it, it took years to learn from my mistakes, right? And I kept repeating them and I had to really break the habit, which was really hard for me to do. So that's an interesting point, breaking the habit, you know, because we can, we can want things and we can hope for things, but the habits will take us exactly where, where, we're, where we're going. And until you break it, you, you're really lumbered with it, aren't you? And the fact that you admit that it was hard to change, I find that a hard thing as well. I think that most people do, trying to genuinely change a habit, no matter how wrong you think it is. 
did, 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 did you go and learn how to do that? Did, were you consuming books, knowledge, information? Were there people out there that, that almost were like um, figures that you would consume their content? I mean, the reason I asked the question, it was like back in the olden days, I'm 50, but back in the olden days, we had people like Jim Rowan and, and Zig Ziglar that used to teach me. And then it was Tony Robbins when I was young. And and, and I really had to pay attention to what they were saying. And it was like, I, I remember I had a, uh, a six CD, I had a CD stacker in the back of my BMW and it was in the, in the boot of the car. And it was at the time, it was like, that was the coolest thing ever. And I had six slots in there and I had six Tony Robbins Get the Edge CDs that were in there. And I was living overseas. So the radio, local radio stations are rubbish. And so that's all I listened to all of the time, like constantly every day for a year. And listening to it the first time, the second time, the third time, nothing. But slowly over time, it was almost like um, there's a guy called Nick Vojtic who I interviewed. He's got no arms and no legs. He's a, an Australian guy. I've seen, I've seen it. Okay, so I sat with him interviewing him and he was looking at me and while I was interviewing him. And all he was saying without speaking was, uh, and your problem is... And uh, it was, because who's got a problem? And, you know, I'm able-bodied. He's got, I, you, you can't complain about anything when you're with him. So, so like, well, that, that kind of, like, that message from Tony was going in it over and over and over, and Jim Rowan over and over. And then eventually the penny dropped, and it was like, you're being an idiot. This is the wrong way to do it. You need to do it this way. And then you get a bit of courage, and you kind of try. You dip your toe into the, to the right channel or the right route. And then you get a little bit of confidence and a little bit of self-esteem. And then you're like, hold on a minute, this, this might work. And then you're braver with it. Was, was, that, was that what it was like for you or was it very different? It was quite different. For me, it was more so I was continually failing. I was getting frustrated. I was thinking about getting a nine to five job. I was looking at all the people that I know who are successful. And I realized they all just focus on one thing. And what I decided to do was focus on one thing but very specific, not just one business, but one thing in my business. And that was marketing and lead generation. Um, and there were some times where I focused on two things and the second thing was sales. And still today, I only focus on traffic generation. If I focus on another thing, it's typically sales. Uh, so I'm very big on marketing, driving demand, and selling and closing. So lead, lead gen and conversion, and that's it? Pretty much it, exactly. You, you're an expert at this, but... There's a lot of people out there that find this subject, it's almost like the steak and the sizzle, you know. My dad loves food and he loves going to a restaurant, looking at the menu and he wants to know, you know, where the cow was born, what its name was, what it was fed and where it hung out at a weekend. And whereas I'm like, does the steak taste good? And I think I'm a little bit like that with digital marketing. I want the outcome. But the, 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 the bit in the middle, as much as I'm involved in it, I've learned a lot. I still know nothing, really. And I think a lot of people that I coach in sales, and a lot of people that I work with, even the businesses that I own, we still really don't know. And the problem we've had is that there's a lot of people out there that don't know, that pretend they do. And so you pay a lot of money to it. I mean, and I would say... I, we have an industry in the UK that's frowned upon, okay? It's called the double glazing industry. And so it's the worst type of salespeople in the world. Go and see old ladies and try and sell them double glazing to save money on their energy, on their homes and stuff. And it's always been for 30, 40 years. There's even a show on Netflix about it. Double glazing. If you're a double glazing salesman, you're, you're a scumbag. And I think the digital marketing industry has, has created 
you know, this modern day equivalent of double glazing sales, because there seems to be anyone and everyone out there flogging their services, trying to sell you that we can get you leads or we can help convert or we can build funnels or, or we can get you quick, skip, quit your job and make money online in less than 30 days and retire. Yeah. All right. That ain't going to happen. And then, and, but the thing is, when you don't know something, it's like a lawyer. You go to a lawyer, you need a lawyer, you, you, know, you expect them to know what they're doing and so they represent you and maybe you'll ask for a couple of referrals from people or you know, you, you'll, you'll have a meeting and assess them. And I think that we, we, we all have a brief understanding enough about law because it's been around forever where digital marketing and whether it's Russell Brunson with ClickFunnels and stuff like that, it's so easy to build your funnel. And, you know, yes, it is by comparison, easy to build a funnel. It's easier to build a funnel, okay, than it is to get the funnel to work. Um, and because it, it, you don't learn, you know, it's again, it's the sizzle. The funnel's the thing. The funnel's not the thing. The funnel's a bit of the thing. There's all this other thing that needs to be dealt with too. And it's hard to get it all to work. Just like sales, right? And you know this better than anyone else. Selling, it doesn't matter how great of a salesperson you are, there's a lot to a business because even if you're great at sales, you got to drive the leads. You got to end up fulfilling the service, the product that you ended up selling. There's so many pieces in there. Support, right? Running the business operations. It's the whole enchilada. And, and that's what people forget about is they look at one thing, they're looking for that silver bullet. This one sales tactic, this one marketing tactic, this one, you know, uh, hack like a funnel. And don't get me wrong, they all help, but you have to combine them all to do well. I think, you know, I come from a, a financial services background in sales. And, and the thing that was always interesting for me is that the markets are moving all the time. And because they're moving all the time, you need to be kept up to speed with all of that data and that information because you're out of date yesterday, you know, or tomorrow, sorry. And so you're constantly having to evolve with it. And every meeting you have with your clients is a different conversation because of what might have happened with Donald Trump saying something crazy or, you know, some, you know, some CEO having an affair with his PA or whatever it might be. And, and the stock price of a company going down and so and that was always exciting for me but in your industry it's exactly the same as much as there's some fundamentals the fact is everything's kind of keep, everything keeps shifting and whether whether it be facebook or insta or linkedin or what everything keeps shifting and it's difficult man it's really difficult to keep up with it. it it really is so just to give you an idea there's so many platforms from instagram google facebook the list keeps going on and on google alone makes roughly nine algorithm changes per day, per day. Most people don't know, most of them are small, so you don't notice them, roughly nine a day. It's hard to keep up with all of them because then, then you have to keep up with Google, then LinkedIn, then Facebook, then Twitter, right? Then TikTok, because all these new platforms keep coming on. Then you have podcasting, then you have videos like YouTube. So it's like the list is endless. Where, so again, where do you start? You either find a company that does that and you outsource it and say, you do it for me because we don't have the skills or the time or the wherewithal to do it. Or, okay, you employ people that, that, that come and work within your organization to do it, or you teach people within your organization to do it. And so they're simply your three options. And I consume your content and, and I, I love your podcast. The reason I love your podcast is that you mess with my head for only six minutes at a time. And so <laughs> it's like you and Eric is like, great, that's excellent stuff. And it will go in. If, if, that was, if that was 20 minutes long, okay, I'd have been bamboozled. But you got, I've got six minutes and you'll give me something punchy and I'm like, right, I'll go and think about that. So that, that's why I really enjoy consuming that. But do, do, 
what do you find is the best thing to do? If there's a corporation, an SME type business that really needs to use um, the services that your expertise has, do, do you typically lean into wanting to them to learn how to do it themselves? Or would you prefer the done for you service for them when it comes to your business? It, it really depends. And here's what I mean by this. If they have a big team and they can execute fast, I recommend that you just go and you do it yourself. If you don't have the expertise, you don't have the biggest team, or even if you have a big team, but you move slow, then I recommend then you go figure out and get someone else to do it for you. And the biggest thing that I always tell people, because even us, you know, I don't want to lie and say, we keep up with all the nine algorithm changes a day. There's no way. We don't know all of them either because they're not all released or announced. But what you want to end up doing is put the person first. When you create your podcast, you don't think about algorithms. You think about what can you provide that gives the most value to your listeners. Same with the platforms, Facebook, Google, LinkedIn, Twitter. They all have one mission, which is how do we put the best content, the best information for users at the top? How do we make it where they are discovering the best information and not seeing the junk? So you want to make sure that whatever you're doing, it's 110% better than the competition. That's usually the general rule of thumb that'll allow you to succeed in the long run. The reason I say long run is in the short run, many times you create amazing content. People believe it's amazing. Your consumers may even agree that it's amazing, but they won't see it right away. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. When we look at the different pl platforms, I, I feel that over the years, things have changed and, and people don't like Facebook as much as they used to. It's almost like you, you feel like people are using it less and people talk about it less and engage on it less, certainly within the communities that, I, that I'm exposed to. However, it's such a when you deal with anyone that's working in lead gen, it's like, no, no, Facebook's critical. And so... So your common sense says, well, hold on a minute. I'm not using it half as much as I used to. I spend most of my life on LinkedIn nowadays. And, and then, then it's, really, it's really critical. So again, it, then, then you've got that battle between what you're, what you're doing yourself, your own behaviors, and what you expect the behaviors of others to be. And then these people that want to run Facebook ads all the time to try and get your lead gen for whatever it is that you're doing. It Totally. And it all comes down to is where are the people? And even when I look at Facebook, even though I don't use it, their traffic and volume is just so high. We have no choice to be on it. Um, it was funny because last week Unilever pulled out from Facebook ads and they say they're a top hundred advertisers supposedly. And uh, Procter and Gamble released a statement saying, we're going to stop spending ads on uh, platforms. I think that have hate speech or certain things. They didn't explicitly say they're going to pull out on Facebook, but you know, and even when you look at it in the long run, Unilever, Procter and Gamble, if I had to make a bet within a year, they're back on and they're spending. The reason being is if it's profitable, people spend. It, it, it's just straight up business. Like if you yourself aren't harming someone and you're spending a dollar and you're making two in return, you're probably going to keep spending. Absolutely. I just think that, um, I'd love to be able to find somebody that could help me turn one dollar into two on social media, <laughs> because as much as as much as I've tried, I haven't I haven't literally mastered that yet. What I've learned, okay, what I've learned is that that, that LinkedIn has become for me a really interesting platform over the course of the last twelve months. Um, For sales training and stuff like that, what are you well, selling? That you're trying to get a two to one. 
So, uh, so in terms of, in terms of, in, I get massive engagement on on LinkedIn. I get, I get from an audience perspective. I've, I don't know. There's twenty, twenty six thousand, twenty seven thousand connections that I have. Um, I have really high engagement. I go live on there once a week as well, and try. So, I, and I try and post as often as I can. What I always thought would be the stuff that was valuable, like a video and stuff, it isn't as valuable. I get way more engagement on individual posts that I write if I come out of a meeting and I'm frustrated, and I want to kind of put the world to right. So, I want to ask the public a question type of thing. I get a lot of engagement engagement in those areas but when it comes to outreach if uh, I, I did I did some examples for my clients and so uh, of outreach you obviously know that people send receive millions of messages all the time these automated messages trying to sell products or services and digital marketing is probably the number one uh, one that's done on on LinkedIn but if you personalize a message and you send it out to somebody um, that, that's the CEO of an organization that you want to talk to grab a virtual coffee and just discuss how you might be able to bring some value to them then then the the, the return on that time investment is really quite high because the, the corporate client is very valuable and so that, that that but I don't I don't spend money on adverts on LinkedIn but then when it comes to yeah and so so for me it's like with I, I love LinkedIn it's, it's actually my favorite social network I mean, there's a, there's a young lad called Daniel Disney who's got 600,000 uh, followers on LinkedIn. And he's a young guy from the UK, from Portsmouth in the UK. And he's, he literally posts a meme a day. And it's a sales-related meme every single day, and so and, and he's, he's a youngster. He likes doing memes, and the, and and I, he was live this afternoon. He had a huge number of people on his live, and he's he's just a young kid. You know, he's 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 bright. He's not the greatest sales guy in the world, but he understands how LinkedIn works. I said to him, "Give us your Instagram handle. I'll follow you on Instagram." He's like, "I haven't got Instagram." I thought that was really interesting. He's only on LinkedIn, and uh, I thought that was the Sales Daily. It's called. So, um, yeah, I look at that and I think I'm getting somewhere with LinkedIn, but I still look at my funnel and I look at Facebook and I look at Instagram and I'm like, man, how do you get this right? I mean, really? And then part of me goes into the mindset of, well, I'm in Dubai and Dubai is probably uh, the UAE population and, 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 and uh, a generation of revenue is probably half of Miami um, in terms of its size. So it's a very, very small market. And you've got the Indian and the Arab and the, and the Pakistan and the Filipino marketplace. You've got a very small population of what I would say is my ideal client. And then you, you have the UK and you look at the UK, okay, it's 60 million people or whatever it is. And compare that to the US and that, that's one state. And, and you've got 50 states over there. And so all, all it does is it makes me go, you know what? The only place if you want to go big, you know, the only place if you want to really reach and stretch is the US. Or China. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but training- China's big right now. But, but I, I, I look at the UK as it's, it's a big market. The UAE, I, I, I love Dubai. It's an amazing place. But when I look at the UAE, the market is very small, even though they have money, the money is mainly from things like tourism and oil and things like that, which is hard to tap into for you and I, right? Because it doesn't necessarily fit with our skills. Like you produce oil, people are either going to buy it or they're not going to buy it. The price is going to go up or down based on market conditions that you or I can't control. But what's beautiful about what you do is you can do it all virtual, right? Or people can fly to you. You know what? I can do it virtually. This is an interesting thing. You know, obviously with COVID, you've, you, you've, you've gone from, I'm sure you did some stuff in person, but most of your work's done from your office. And, but for me, uh, if, I'm, if, I, if I focus on being self-aware and really honest with myself as a human being, I love to be on a stage in front of an audience or in a, in a room with a group of people. I like to feel people's energy. And when you start doing webinars on Zoom and your coaching sessions on Zoom and stuff like that, I actually find that um 
at first it was like we had no option, so we had to do it. And so we kind of all got, got, got on with it. And I was 12 hours a day on Zoom every day. But after a while, I'm like, if, if I have to live my life doing this, I'm going to be a very unhappy person. Yeah, after a while it gets irritating or more so exhausting. But um, I don't mind the virtual stuff. I do prefer in person. The one thing that I do like is not having to fly. Because I, I used to be on the road a lot, three weeks out of the month. And I used to just go from conference to conference to conference. Heck, at, at one point when I was single and not married, I was on the road usually three months at a time. And then I'll come back on the fourth month for like a week or two, get new clothes and go back on the road. And I'll just go from conference to conference to conference and speak. And it was just exhausting. The, the flights, the amount of time, like there were some times where I would fly from Los Angeles to Dubai, speak, and literally be on a plane in less than 24 hours back. Yeah, that's not that's not good. I've done a lot of that. I used to fly 100 flights a year. So I kind of get get that. I, I, I don't like that. And lots of companies now for sure are going to be sitting there saying to themselves, why are we putting these guys on airplanes and paying for hotels? This makes no sense that they, they can be effective doing it another way. But I think also when you have kids as well, things change and you had you had a little girl, didn't you? I had a little girl and uh, it, it changed and it makes it harder to travel. And even when I'm working, right, she doesn't understand boundaries. Like, her, she only says really one word and the word is hi so she likes coming towards the screen and she'll look and she'll just say hi and she'll say hi around 20 30 times which gets a little irritating after a while but you know, it definitely does change things there's, there's something that happens when you i've got two daughters so i I'm, I'm a dad of two girls and i remember when when my kids were your kid your daughter's age one of the things that was really really important to me was to make sure that that the bond was with, as much with me as it was with mum and so keeping keeping them you know i i wanted to do the nighttime feeds because i wanted to fall asleep in the rocking chair with her after feeding her and and have those moments and i wanted her to be close to my heartbeat and be comfortable falling asleep on my chest just as she was reaching up for mum so i worked really hard at that at the beginning and you know you have the opportunity to be able to do that and to me i think that was one of the most important bonding parts of my whole life with them you know they're 18 and 20 now so they're older but that was so special and you're getting to live that right now and so it it's just very magical, isn't it? It, it? it really is. It's a blessing. But they're going to be a nightmare when they get older. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I already miss my daughter being like three months old. I'm like, oh, it's so much easier when she wasn't walking. And then I'm like, oh, I wonder what it's going to be like when they're like 10 and three or whatever the ages are. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to probably say it was easier when they were one. So. Did you always want to have a family? No, my wife did. <laughs> I, I, being quite frank, I didn't even think about marriage. Wow. And then, you know, met my wife and then got married and then had a kid. I was like, all right, this isn't that bad. And when you met your wife, you're obviously a bit, you've been an entrepreneur for some time before you met her. Was she very tolerant of, of your kind of like workaholic mindset and mentality and your full on full commitment to what you were doing? Or did she slowly start to say, come on, you got to give a bit back? No, she was used to it. Her dad was that way. So she was used to it from a young age and she didn't mind it at all. Oh man, so you got it all, you got it. No, you found the right woman. She's got, dad is an entrepreneur. That's worked out perfectly for you. She said, let's have a baby. You're like, okay. And now you've got it and it's magical. So I suppose it couldn't be better, could it? In general, no. In life, you know, we think about business, sales, marketing, and a lot of times we look at what's wrong and how we can get better. And that's a great mindset. We should have that. 
But every once in a while, you just need to look and you just like realize how blessed you are, right? Because there's so many people out there in the world who have it much worse than us. And a lot of the countries out there from places in the Middle East to places in like Iran or Syria, right? There's a lot of people who aren't living um, due to their rights or what's happening or in places like Africa. And I look at it and I'm like, here in theory, you know, we're quite blessed. Yeah, you got it very easy. Okay, a couple of last things before I let you get on because I'm sure that you've got other things to do today apart from talk to this crazy middle-aged guy in Dubai. But um, just for the benefit of, of our listeners out there, just give me some tips right now as to what's going on, what you're seeing, stuff out in the marketplace, things that people should be doing when it comes to thinking about lead generation and, and conversion because the, at the end of the day, everything else is just fluff. It's lead gen and conversion that actually matters. Uh, there's a there's a company here in this part of the world called Bayut, which is Arabic firm. Um, home which is a property portal a bit like your zillow stuff you've got over there they've just merged with another company worth a billion dollars um and 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 literally the whole industry relies on them for their leads the real estate industry does and so lead gen's important for every business that's selling something and i think that it's going to be challenging come september october november when furlough ends and businesses have to start moving forward again and so getting leads and getting business is going to be tougher so being better at lead generation is going to be important isn't it Definitely. So one thing that we're seeing that's huge in lead generation right now is video. So if you create videos on YouTube, Instagram, or any of these places on your videos, just don't talk about specific tactics or anything like that. Also sell on your video. So yes, you want to cover strategies, news, tactics, but what most people aren't doing is selling on the videos. So if you educate and then sell, we're seeing that you end up generating a lot of revenue. And when I say videos, many people are like, I barely have any followers. When I say videos, I say go live. When you go live, these platforms are trying to compete with live TV. So they're pushing the content out to many more people outside of your network. So you're getting the reach, even if you don't have the following. So your message is more likely to be heard. And then you can generate sales literally from selling on videos. And I've seen people sell on videos. um, And some of these people are making tens and thousands of dollars if not hundreds and thousands of dollars every time they're going live even if they don't have a big audience okay so just so how often should they go live so i would recommend going live at least once a week per platform uh if not twice a week if possible and if you really have the energy and you're young i'm not anymore i would try to go live once a day so for how long i would try to go live for at least 30 minutes See, if you keep someone on there for at least 30 minutes and you're educating, you're building that rapport, that connection, that bond, that trust. And then when you sell at the end, you're much more likely to convert. Then the feeling is when you're doing that, that often, that frequently, that you, you can run out, of things, run out of things to talk about if you're on a live. You know? If you're in an industry, I don't know, you're in whatever the industry is, there's only so much you can talk about. So how, how do you overcome that? All right, so... Go check out all your uh, competitors' pages on YouTube, Facebook, their blog, and that'll start giving you ideas. There's always something new. Always something new. Okay, so that's so, so Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. What about what about TikTok? <clears throat> TikTok, I would avoid for most people unless that is your audience and your demographic. Um, you'll find a hard time generating ROI from TikTok right now. It doesn't mean it won't do well in the future. It's blowing up. It's just stick with the basic platforms that you know you can already generate sales from. And if you go live long enough, what you'll also find is you'll get a ton of questions during these live uh, sessions. You want to answer them. 
because again, that helps build more connection and makes it easier for sales. And then you can also take some of those questions that come up frequently and turn them into live sessions for the next day or the day after. So that'll also help give you more topics as well. And should you go live at a certain time of the day? Yes. So we found going live earlier in the morning tends to do well within whatever region you're trying to target. So if you're trying to target the UAE, go early in the morning in the UAE. If you're trying to target Europe or, you know, go live early in the morning. Uh, Seven, nine, ten. What are you talking about here? I usually do anywhere from 9 a.m., 8 a.m., somewhere around those two. I try not to do seven, but usually eight or 9 a.m. And so educate the audience and then do, do, a, do, a, do a sales conversion while you're on the live. And, and if, if, you, if you're live five days a week, do try and sell every day. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with selling. You know, everyone always tells me like, oh, I feel bad selling. I'm like, what do you mean you sell bad selling? Are you selling a product that helps them? And then they'll tell me, yeah, if they use this product, it'll help them do X, Y, and Z. It'll make their life better. So I'm like, well, technically, if you're not selling them on it, you're doing a disservice to them because then they're not getting that benefit. So you need to help them understand. You're not okay. trying to sell in a sleazy way. It's all benefit-based. Okay, so everyone that's listening to this right now, I'm going to make sure that, that I'll be the guinea pig for all of my audience. So I'll go live from tomorrow every day at 9 o'clock for 30 minutes. Okay, what about bringing guests on and, and, and doing a Q&A with other people? Is that a positive thing to do? It, it, it's not bad. Uh, it helps. And, but what you want them to do is promote it right? So like if we did a live and I knew in advance, I would tell my audience, Hey, we're going live during this time. So that way you get an influx of people. So that way it gives you a new audience. Think of like podcasting, but you do it during live and then you're getting the other person to promote. So you're getting way more people there, which allows you to sell to more people. Um, but I have found just being blunt, if you're by yourself, the sales numbers are much better. Ooh. Okay, that's really interesting. That's really interesting. Okay, that's a brilliant tip. When you have another person on there, it, it makes it harder. The transition is not as smooth. It's just, it, it's not as clean. When you're on there, you're controlling the topic, the conversation, you have one point, you educate on it, and then you sell at the end. And do you go live with slides or just go live yourself? Either one. I do a little bit of everything. So sometimes I'll go live with slides. Sometimes I go live just by myself. Sometimes I'll go live on camera, you know, answering questions and then at the end selling. But like we test a lot of different formats because people prefer different formats, right? Some people like the slideshow, some people like the, the interaction. So we try a little bit of everything. Sometimes I go live literally with a flip chart behind me with a pen and a flip chart and I illustrate out that way. But, and, and you know what some people like, I'm stood up, so I'm bouncing around full of energy. That's, that's a good way, yeah? Yeah. Okay, or getting a, I'm on a MacBook Air right now and getting a, getting a, um, uh, an, an, an iPad Pro and plugging that in and, and literally illustrating as I'm writing on the screen. That good too? I, I've done that as well. I love it. I have an a iPad Pro and I do the same thing and I just start illustrating. Brilliant. Excellent stuff. That's <laughs> it. Okay, give me one more tip and then we'll let you go. Okay, so another thing that I want you to end up doing is go out there. And this is a simple marketing tactic, right? So figure out who your ideal audience is. Let's say your ideal audience is a company and I'm going to make up the name like um, Walmart. All right. Everyone knows Walmart. They're a huge company. So LinkedIn is so powerful because you can get connected with anyone and find anyone's information. And there's a lot of sales tools out there like hunter.io, which gives you emails. And there's yeah. just so many out there. So what I like doing is 
I go and I figure out what I'm trying to sell. So let's say I'm selling marketing services to keep it simple. Yeah. I'll email the CEO of these big companies like Walmart and Target and Costco or Amazon or whatever, maybe Apple. And I'll email the CEO and I'll say, Hey John, hope all is well. I know you're busy. I have this thing that'll help uh, you, you generate more traffic or more sales by X percent. Uh, I already know you do a little bit of it, but it can be fine tuned. If you can introduce me to your CMO, it, you know, cause I'm pitching marketing. Uh, if you're pitching sales, it may be VP of sales or whatever it may be. If you can introduce me to your CMO or director, that'd be great. Uh, hope all is well, take care and enjoy your weekend. Right? Casual email, super casual. A lot of times the CEO will just forward it over to that person. When a CEO of a big company forwards it over to an employee, actually if a CEO of any size forwards it over to one of their employees, they usually respond. Yeah. And when that person emails me, even though I didn't know the CEO, they take me serious because they're like, the CEO messaged me, oh, you probably know him, I don't know how you got in touch, but they usually assume that I know him, I never said I know him or anything like that. I'm not trying to be deceiving, Mm -hmm. I'm just straight up trying to create a conversation. And uh, I, I do casual because they tend to respond more when it's casual. But when the CEO forwards an email, usually people try to work out the deal. It's an easy way to get in the door, top down. Great tip. Another one that I do, one, one, one thing that I do is I invite CEOs onto my podcast of companies I want to do business with. And so I send a message out to them saying, um, I, I really would love you to share your inspirational story with my audience. Okay, I think they could do with that right now. I'd love you to inspire them. And typically they respond. And I know what their, 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 their body language is at the time. They're like, well, maybe I can inspire some people. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And so then they come on the podcast. I think get 30 minutes before the episode, you know, an hour with them and then the 30 minutes after. Their, their phone numbers in in my phone book. I can call them up the next day. And what I do is I wait a couple of weeks and then I call them and say, "Can I grab a coffee with you? I've got. I'd like to pick your brains." But then I already know them, so they're really happy to have a coffee with me. And I've got that direct. And I, this is what I do, and this is how I think I might be able to help the company. I know you don't deal with it, but who should I speak to? And typically, just exactly like you said, they'll refer me to Margaret, who's in charge of XYZ department. I phone Margaret and I'm like, the CEO told me to call you. And she's like, oh, really? Okay, fine. And then again, it's very similar to what you're doing. But but with the, with the podcast, it's like uh, you also give them the content as well. You're giving them the video and the audio afterwards and the micros. And they're quite proud to share that around their business and their company too. So yeah, that seems to work as well. Have you ever done the $1,000 uh, call? No. Okay. So a lot of times what I'll do is I used to, I don't do this anymore. And depending on the target, it'll be up to $10,000 where I'll send them and through carrier a thousand dollars. And if they take the call with me, a 30 minute call, they'll keep the thousand dollars. They don't have to do anything. Or, you know, if they don't want to do the call, they don't get the thousand bucks. And you can increase it. So if I'm pitching a venture fund or private equity fund or someone who's really wealthy, I may do $2,000, $5,000, pick them out, right? Someone's just like, you're telling me you give me $5,000 if I take a 30 minute call, I don't have to buy anything. Usually people are like, who the heck is this person to send this kind of money? And at that point, almost every single time, it doesn't matter what you say, they're intrigued because they're just like, this person must have something to be willing to pay this much just for a phone call. And it really sparks their curiosity and it causes them to push you forward throughout the organization. And it helps you really get in. That's a really, really good one. That's a great question. And Raj is just saying, why, why are you so happy to give it? You're like me, you give everything away. You don't hold anything back. It's like you're happy to share it.
yeah, why not, right? Like, I learned from other people as well, just like you, right? You were telling me the Zig Ziglar's, the Tony Robbins, listening. I love how you had the six CDs in your trunk. But yes, back then, that was a cool thing. And then eventually, it became in your car. You can actually change the CDs. I was like, wow, I don't have to go into my trunk. Um, but yeah, no, when I look at all that, a lot of people help me get to where I am. Uh, same with you, right? So it's like, why not pay it forward and help out other people as well? Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you one story that I go. I used to, if I if I used to reach out to somebody and people didn't didn't respond to me, there was a, in the UK. There's a place called Millie's Cookies, and they make big kind of like small pizza sized cookies. And I'd take a cookie from them. I'd take a cake cutter and cut what looked like a bite out of the cookie. And I'd send them the cookie in the box. And I'd say, I really want to take a bite out of your business. But until I do, enjoy the cookie. And I always, always get responses from people. They'd be like, you're nuts. But they would always come back to me. And some of them I'd convert, some of them not. But I'd definitely be in their mind. And here's another one for your audience that's actually very similar, digital version. Uh, there's a company called Pick Snippet. So P-I-C-S-N-I-P-P-E-T. And what it does is you can take a picture. So it'll be me like holding up a postcard or a sign and a white sign and it's empty. And it'll just be like, I'm really sad. And then comma, you just put in their name. And it dynamically inserts their name in the same format, same text, same font. So it looks like it's personalized to them. So then when I email people, I can remarket them. And I can just be like, John, have you seen our case study yet? John, why haven't you got on the phone with us? So it's all customized and they're seeing ads all over the web targeted specifically to them. And they're much more likely to convert because they're just like, oh crap, you know, like how do they know? You know, and it's the same thing. Like if we had a sales call and they missed it, I would hold up a sign. I'd be like, John, is everything all right? And I'm holding up a sign that says that. And I'm like, you know, the only reason I ask is because you missed the call right and i'm like let me know if there's anything wrong with you or your family if there's anything i can end up doing like little things like that have done so well i used to also do something where where we had sales calls and people missed it there was an automatic email that went out to them from my assistant and it would be an automatic email that i sent to my assistant so it was all done no one had to do any manual work so amy would send them an email and it would be like it would be a message to me being like to amy Hey, Amy, can you reach out to John? He missed our call. Just want to make sure everything's okay with him and his family. Uh, if you can, please check in. And that was it. And then John from there, or I mean, then uh, Amy would send it to John and then John would see the email and then he would be like, oh no, everything's fine. Sorry about that. I'll come back to the call. So. We had one similar one on an email thread. On the third email, if they didn't respond, the email said, the reason you've not responded is you probably either your phone's broken or okay, or your computer's broken or you've fallen off your chair and you've banged your head. I hope you're okay. And people would always respond saying, I'm fine. I'm just busy. Leave me alone. <laughs> I love it. Neil, it's been an absolute joy having you on this episode. I'm so grateful that you've made time. Thank you so much, Raj. Man, this is just really, really beautiful. It's, it's been really, really awesome chatting to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And uh, congrats on doing 100 episodes. Most people don't stick with it long enough. And that's why you do well in life, right? You're persistent. You just keep going. Yeah, I, yeah. Thank you so much. That's really kind of you. Well, I wish you a great day ahead. Okay, blessings to your family. And uh, yeah, episode 100 of the Spencer Lodge podcast with Neil Patel. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Take care. And uh, yeah, I'll see you very soon.
Take care. Bye. So I don't quite know what to say to all of you right now. I'm literally sat here in full of gratitude and joy because Neil is somebody that I've followed for a long time and he literally is the number one guy in the world at what he does and while some of you might not have heard heard of him I'm sure after listening to that episode for sure you like him a lot more now and he's got some great ideas and he shares some great information with us. Look, this podcast has been a journey. It's 18 months in. We're at episode 100. We've enjoyed literally every single episode. We've interviewed some just phenomenal people along the way. I know the big names like Tony Robbins and stuff like that are out there, Grant Cardone, Gary Vee and whatnot. But there's also been some other people too, some some people that maybe aren't as big in the, in the media space as some of these guys are. And I just want to thank every single person that has made time to come on the show, share their stories with us, inspire you guys and me okay with their stories and their um their inspiration really and what they're about and what they're trying to achieve so if you've enjoyed this episode like all of the episodes that we've had please do me a favor okay if you're on itunes right now leave us a five-star rating if you're on soundcloud spotify and that kind of stuff i would love it if you'd leave a comment and just let me know what you think of the show i always want to make it better we're at episode number 100 i want to make number 200 even more amazing for you so do me a favor leave that and i'll be very grateful see you soon